3617, respond to report of shots fired. The Coroner Talk podcast takes you behind the scenes with coroners, clinicians, and death investigators from around the world to provide training, news, and interviews from leading experts in the area of death investigation and scene management, bringing real stories and solid training together in one source. Now, here's your host, Darren Day. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Coroner Talk, the only podcast in iTunes dedicated to you, the men and women work in the field of death investigation, and of course, everyone else in supporting roles as well. As this episode comes out live, I guess, uh, comes out and released, it is Memorial Day 2019, and I want to make sure that I take a moment and say thank you to all the veterans, everyone that has fought in wars and has served in the military and and has done what needed to be done to protect our country. And of course, we remember all of the fallen EMS and fire and police. And then, of course, we also take time to remember our loved ones that have died, maybe not in battle, uh, but they certainly have died in somebody that uh, that we have loved. So Memorial Day, just take that moment to, to remember your loved ones and remember uh, the military of what they have done for you. Got a little bit longer show for you today. It's going to be a rewind of a show that I have done about a year ago, but it is going to be interesting because it is now part of an HLN miniseries, documentary series, that will be aired on June 2nd, 2019, the first of the four parts. Uh, And if you remember back when this episode was first played, uh, we're talking about girls missing in Oklahoma in 1999 and the whole case around that. And it becomes very interesting case. And I talked to the two investigators that worked that case that has now been picked up as a four part miniseries documentary. And I believe I'm going to appear in that at least briefly talking about some of the autopsy reports and things like that. And so that's called Hell in the Heartland. And we'll get into more of that uh, here soon. And we're going to talk about the the uh, case as a whole uh, of what led to this documentary. And of course, that will air June 2nd, 2019 on HLN. But let me take a second and mention to you the Medical Legal Death Investigator Online Academy. Against comes up in July 13th. We are in one now. We've got another one starting July 13th, 2019. This course is for the student looking to enter the field of death investigation, wanting to make sure it's something that they're interested in and can do. It's also for those that are working in the field currently and want to improve skills and or get continuing education credits. So it is approved by ABMDI for continuing education. Uh, we got some other states that approve it as well. And here's a quickly thing I'll say about this course. Some states actually use this course as their basic training for the coroners. Lots of states are now starting to require coroner training. That's a great thing. Some of them are getting their own 40-hour-plus seated academies started. That's fantastic. Uh, Some of them use this course as their fill-in for uh, between times. Some of them use it as their basic primary. You take this course when you're elected or hired. Uh, some some regions and states are using it for continuing education. Uh, some are using it uh, for a fill-in for their uh, current training. So it's, it's in all kinds of ways. The point I'm trying to say is this course is accepted and is being used by multiple states. 
And it's something that, like I said, some states are using it for their basic. It's 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 what you have to go through to be a coroner investigator. So, uh, and I appreciate them doing that, and I appreciate uh, the partnership. But what that also does is it means the course is vetted for accuracy and vetted for the the ability to provide you the training that it needs to provide. So the next one starts July thirteenth, and I would certainly love to meet you in that class. If you have any questions, you can certainly. Contact me, ask me about any of that. All right, so let's talk about today's show. Very interesting topic we've got today. I've got two guests on, and I hope I pronounced his names right. Number one is uh, also goes by Jax Miller, if you've read any of her writings. And then Sarah Kayleen, and I hope I pronounced your name right, Sarah, please, if I didn't forgive me. But these are two individuals that that probably was fairly instrumental in the recent arrest in a cold case in Oklahoma. Now, let me tell you a little bit about that case. So in 1999, there was uh, two girls, Ashley Freeman and Laura Bible. They're both 16 years old, and they were last seen alive on December 29th, 1999, and they were celebrating Ashley Freeman's birthday. And so they had a sleepover. Laura Bible was sleeping over. And so they were celebrating the birthday. And the next morning, the first responders, fire department responded to their home because their home had been burnt. Uh, their, uh, the Freeman home had been burnt. And the, the Ashley's mom and dad, Danny and Kathy Freeman, were found shot in the house. And the house had been uh, burnt down around them. They found accelerant. So there was a murder and a hom. There was homicides of two people and then an arson. The two girls were gone. The girl's car was still in the driveway. The purse, the money, the keys. Where'd the girls go? Did the girls do this? Did they take off with a boyfriend? Did somebody else do this? Lots of leads, lots of things. Uh, and it's cold. And so the... the People I'm having on the show today, Ann and Sarah, they actually started investigating this. I, a while back, last year I think it was, looked at the autopsy report and answered some questions for them about the case for the Freemans, uh, what they were investigating. And because of some of the stuff they've done, there is now an arrest in the case. Very, very interesting set of details. Probably can't reveal everything, but it's going to be very interesting, uh, our conversation today, about how this cold case took place and how this arrest was made so again look up the uh, laura bible and ashley freeman case in oklahoma's 1999 case that is what we're talking about today and how this case came about how the investigation came about and how these girls uh this this case was solved now at the time i don't know that they have found the girls bodies yet Uh, it isn't it is believed that they have been killed but they don't know where the bodies are as of yet so, but let's get into this uh, with uh, Ann and Sarah, and I think you'll be very interested in how this case plays out. Adjust your earbuds, turn up those speakers, and hang on. It's now time for this week's featured conversation. All right, I'm back with you, and as I introduced earlier, I have Jax and Sarah on the phone with me, and this is going to be a great conversation. Um, I, I know in pre-roll, I introduced Jax as Forget that I said that. Jax is what we want to use. I did, I did mention Jax in the pre-roll. But uh, Jax, thanks you for being on the show. Sarah, welcome to the show. Your ladies are wonderful, and I look forward to this conversation. Thank you so much Thank for having us. Thank you for having us. 
So let's start with a little bit about where you're from, uh, not necessarily as far as, um, you know, the exact, if you, you don't have to be exact as, as you want to be, but um, Jax, you're, I don't think you're from our world. Where are you from? Well, no, I actually am. I'm, I'm from New York originally, uh, but I've been living in Ireland for the past eight years, but uh, I'm currently in New York with family. So uh, I'm all over the place. <laughs> Yeah, that's fantastic. And and Sarah, you are in what city? I am in I'm in Philadelphia now. Um, I've kind of been back and forth in and out of Philly for years. Um, my law enforcement background, I was in I was federal for a little while, and then I was primarily as just as a patrol officer and a detective in Central Ohio, um, just outside the Columbus area. Nice. And and that uh, law enforcement background is what's gotten you involved in this case with Jax, correct? Correct. Correct. So I've um, worked with Jax for years just as a like she would throw a question to me on her crime fiction, like, hey, what kind of gun would be used here or what would the charge be for this um, to keep her crime uh, fiction as authentic as possible? Um, and then she approached me. Oh, oh, we're going on two and a half years now, aren't we, Jax, um, mm-hmm. to to work on an unsolved. We, she wanted to go into true crime and work on something unsolved and see if we could um, work through it together. Yeah. And you guys have done very well with that. Uh, Jax, what's your uh, primary job role? It's interesting. Uh, well, I am uh, a writer. I'm a, I'm a writer of fiction. I guess you'd call a novelist and I I've seen some success. I hit international best-selling status translated in a lot of languages uh, New York Times, all that fun stuff. And I says, you know what, it's it's a little bit, um, I wanted a break from fiction. So I said, I want to do, you know, true crime. It's something I've always loved. I remember reading Helter Skelter when I was far too young to be reading Helter Skelter by Vincent Bugliosi. I was 12 years old. Uh, I have a really funny story about that. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, I, I said, I wanted to uh, to write true crime. And I said, Sarah, I know that you're all into the, the uh, law enforcement thing and I love this, this genre. Let's, let's work together. And there were a few cases we were looking at. I think at one point we were looking at the Amy Bradley case, but I said, well, let's stay on our home territory in case we run into some legal issues. And this one was a story that uh, was always in the back of my head. And I brought it up to Sarah and coming to it from a storytelling point of view, it was a perfect story. It had plot twists in all the right places and, you know, and and the characters were rich. And so from a storytelling point of view, it was fantastic. But here we are two and a half years later, and I don't think either one of us anticipated becoming so close to the case and so close to the people. And here we are now. So that's a, yeah, no, not at all. Yeah. So that's an odd team. I mean, not not odd in a bad way, but, you know, we have a writer and we have law enforcement. You've teamed together. And and what I like about this is I've got to know both of you probably more. I've met both of you in person, but I probably know you more virtually than I actually do in person. We met here in Cuba when we went over the autopsy report and things like that. And that was very fun. You guys are, are fantastic ladies. Um, but as I've gotten to know you, I've realized that you, um, you know, you're like that proverbial dog with a bone. You ain't letting go of it. And... <laughs> And once you get your teeth into something, like it that. is it is absolutely going to be dug out. And that's what's happened with this case. And and, and I and I think that you guys, well, I know that you guys have been instrumental in actually starting some fires that actually got this case solved. But so here's what I want to do to start out with. Let's bring our listeners up to speed on what this case was about. I, I barely said something about it in the beginning, but um, 
Jax, Sarah, whichever you want to start, let's give the background of what happened in 1999 and how this case went cold, and then we'll kind of go from there into how you got more involved. So whichever one want to start, and both of you can jump in. All right, how about I start, Jax, and then I'll... Jax should definitely start, yeah. And then when we get up to Shane, yeah. I'll pick up from there. How about that? Um, so what we have is we have... It's it's the early morning hours before it's one, and this trailer is found burning on the morning of December 30th, 1999, and it's rural Welch, Oklahoma. It's prairies. It's middle of nowhere. Uh, it's a very Spartan home uh, in the prairies, and this, this trailer is burning, Um the Freeman family, everyone knows that the, Fram- the uh, Freeman family lives in this trailer. And it, it's a family that has uh, seen its share of troubles, pretty known around the community uh, for certain things. Uh, so uh, the next day, the local police get there, the Craigs County Sheriff's Office, and they're just like, listen, we don't want to touch this. We have some bad blood with this family. We're going to pass it off to the Oklahoma Bureau uh, of Investigation, the OSBI say bureau and they find the body of kathy freeman the mother of the family and the initial theory was that okay the father danny freeman lost it he killed his wife and he took his teenage daughter it was her 16th birthday and her best friend laura bible so we have ashley freeman and laura bible both age 16 and i think to understand why he might do something like this we have to re- we have to rewind backwards briefly and I'm, i and here's where i'll pass it over to sarah uh, with the death of Shane Freeman less than a year before. Okay, so just, I mean, just days shy of a year before, uh, Shane Freeman was the oldest Freeman child. He was um, he was in high school. I think he was probably junior or senior in high school. He was popular, well-liked, but um, not without a share of troubles. And he and, and Danny Freeman, the dad, um, had, a, had a very fraught relationship. Um, and so Shane had kind of run away from home at that point in, in early January, um, late December, early January. And he was kind of, he was run away from home, but still in, in the community, everybody kind of like they, there were Shane sightings and he would, you know, go stay at a friend's house or kind of break into a farmhouse and, and spend the night. Um, he went on a, a kind of a minor crime spree. He did steal some stuff. He actually stole a bunch of stuff from the Bible family, um, including some guns, right? Jax, he did get guns out of the, the Bible house. Yes. Yeah. And, um, so he's, he's kind of on the, on the run. Um, at one point he is a a pickup truck that he had stolen broke down. He's out on a very rural kind of dirt road, middle of nowhere. And the truck is broken down. Um, and he gets, uh, somebody calls it in, I think, because one of the deputies from Craig County Sheriff's office rolls up on the scene of Shane trying to fix the truck. Um, and there are, there are some disputes as to, you know, how everything went down at that scene, but essentially it ended with, um, Shane with one shotgun blast, uh, from the deputy, uh, killing Shane at the scene. Um, and that kicked off the following year of just an absolute civil war between, um, the, the Freeman family and the people in the community who supported them and the, the local deputies and sort of the people who supported them. And that's what brings us back to the crime scene and, you know, the uh, main crime scene at the Freeman trailer. That's why police are like, we don't want to touch this. We got a lot of bad blood. There was a lot of shocking accusations back and forth between this family and police. And so Danny is his prime suspect and they get an anonymous tip saying, listen, 
We saw Danny. He's in a truck. He's racing away with the girls. He says he'll only give the girls back if you give him the cop who killed his son, Shane. So that's where we are. Um, arguably, the police are like, okay, well, we know where he is. We'll, we'll pursue it tomorrow. Uh, so the next day, after a night of, of talking to the Bible family, whose daughter was in that house and had gone missing, uh, after a day, the parents of Laura Bible, Lorreen and Jay Bible, two of the most lovely people you can ever meet, they go back to the Freeman trailer, now burnt down, uh, to look for clues. And within moments of arriving, they find the body of Danny Freeman, the prime suspect. Okay, and yes, can I interrupt you? I interrupt you. Yes. Now, now, let me get this straight. The police were there, investigated this arson. They found Mrs. Freeman. They took her out of the burning ashes. She's dead. She's gone. And now you're saying that the a, a, a family of the missing girl, not related to the family, missing girl, come to the scene and they find the body of Mr. Freeman within moments like that. So, yeah. Okay. So again, we don't, we, we do not quarterback law enforcement and things. We don't quarterback them. I don't know what happened and how it happened, but so you must be telling me that the mother and the father was in separate parts of the house. He's buried under all this rubble. There's no way he could be found or where was his body in relation to Mrs. Freeman, which was obviously found right away. Well, that's the thing is that Kathy was found on her on on her bed in the master bedroom. It was a, a water bed. The water bed had exploded, and the water that came from the bed helped preserve Danny Freeman, who was mostly intact. They were able to tell who he was right away because of his genitalia. They saw right away that that uh, it was a man. Uh, everything from the jaw up was missing. Uh, his hands, I believe, were missing. I don't have the autopsy right in front of me, but he was mostly intact. There was, I mean, they found him like without any issue. They lifted up a carpet. And there were his legs, like it, he was right there. And no, and, he was yeah, and the, a couple feet away from Kathy on the floor in the doorway. Right. They, they he was very to, close. He was, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, they he he they found the agents and the police footprints on the torso of Danny Freeman. They walked on him the whole time, and he wasn't even like flat. He was kind of he was a little bit propped up. His arm was propped up. I mean, it was they were shocked. Like, how come that, how do they not see this? It was, it was shocking. They also said the Bibles have said the, the Jay and Lorraine who, who found him, that they immediately recognized him. I mean, he was obviously, you know, pretty severely burned, but they said there was no, there was no question as to who it was. Um, and like Jack said, with, with the part of the head missing, both uh, Danny and Kathy were, were killed with a shotgun blast to the head. And was a weapon found on the scene? Was there a shotgun in the room at all? There, well, one of the initial theories was, was this a murder-suicide? But there was no shotgun found near his body. There were many shotguns found um, around the house, but that was pretty common for them to have dozens of guns at any given moment. Um, so as far as a murder weapon, no. But were there guns found? Yes. Right. All right. So go on. So from here, uh, of course, it's been a year long with Shane being killed. And now just almost a year later that we have this incident. Uh, of course, we obviously anti-police in that area. A lot of people anti-police. The Freemans have a background. There's a little bit of drug background. Apparently, they're not friends of the police. Police aren't friends of them. Um, so what was the initial speculation? First, Danny took the girls, obviously. or um, Yeah, Danny took the girls. Obviously not. He's now dead. Uh, so it wasn't it wasn't Danny. So now where did the police go? We have two missing girls, two dead adults. Now what? 
Well, that's the thing is that the rumors started coming pretty quick. Uh, sex trafficking, Mexican cartel, the girls did it. I mean, it, I, I, there was no shortage of theories and rumors from this small community because this is a community of like five to six hundred people. It's, it's pretty small. Um, but from 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 there on out, there was one spree killer in the area and Welch was right in his path when he killed several people. People. So they looked at him, and then soon after that, uh, a famous serial killer came forward confessing, and it, it turned out not to be legit, but it, uh, there were a lot of dead ends, there was a lot of wrong paths taken, and it's been a mystery up until uh, the, the past couple weeks. No one has really known. It's been anyone's guess. All right, so let me let me jump in and change paths here. So uh, it went cold pretty quick, apparently. There's a lot of things checked out. A lot of dead ends, but at some point within a year, a little more than a year, whatever, it's cold. Maybe a lead here or there, but for the most part, there's no word from the girls, no nothing, nothing. And then at some point, then how many years later did you guys get involved? We got involved uh, 2016. It was like the new year, right at the new year we got involved. No, 15. Wait, was it? Oh, it was 16. Yeah, you're right. Wow. And, um, yeah, at right. that, and at that time, cause this is, you know, it was like 16 years later, pretty much, uh, mm-hmm. we looked online cause I, I remember this story as a kid, I was the same age as the girls. And I remember the night they disappeared for different reasons. I actually remember that night. And, um, so I, I it kind of always had a little special place in my heart, if you will. And I looked it up that first week and it turned out that they were, very active in their investigations. They were digging through a well of a, of a, of a killer's former property. And I said, Oh my God, 16 years later. And they're still really looking for those girls. Um, what's going on. So, and that's when we jumped in. So Sarah, I know that you team up with Jackson. Of course, Jax is an author. She wants to turn this into a book and now a movie or whatever. She's, she's going to be Steven Spielberg soon. And all that is great because I love Jax. So, the thing is, Sarah, now you're coming from a law enforcement background. You guys are friends and you decided to jump in. So what is your initial thought? Is this, uh, are you excited? Are you weary? Are you like, what a challenge? Where did you come from with this, Sarah, when you first started? What was your first anticipations? Oh, uh, 100% excited. And in fact, when Jax first presented the idea to me, she said, I don't want you to answer me right now. I want you to take some time to think about it. And I just told her, I said, I don't need any time to think about it. The answer is yes. Um, and I, I think, you know, one of the things that Jax and I have nicknames for each other, we call each other, um, bookie and policey. So we, we look at the case. Um, I mean, we are both very eager to find answers for the family. I think like in our, our core beings, we care deeply about a resolution for this because the families, um, you can't even imagine the, the pain. I mean, we're both mothers. Um, I, I really cannot imagine what Lorene and, and what the, you know, the, the Freeman, the surviving Freeman family members feel every night going to sleep. Um, so we are genuinely committed to, to finding answers. And if at all possible, um, even at a minimum, providing the remains of the girls for the, for the families. But we do come at it from two very different angles. And I think um, Jax really looks at, at the, the, the narrative of it. Um, and as she has always said, like, I look at it much more procedurally, right? You know, so I, I do come at it, you know, like the technical stuff, my educational background is in forensic psychology. So I really kind of spend a lot of time thinking about what makes the person tick. 
um, who, who behaves in this way and then kind of try and work backwards from there. Like, well, if a person behaves this way, uh, in their, in their criminal activities, this is the kind of person they might be. So then that's how you kind of try and look for, for who that person might be within the community or coming from outside the community. I don't know. Um, and with Jax's approach as a narrative, she spends a lot of time talking to people in the community, um, getting answers about their, their sort of their impressions, their feelings. And through that, she's really demonstrated, um, to people, I think that she can be trusted. And so while I'm looking at like kind of the technical staff and I'm like, well, this is what happened here. And this is, you know, a person who commits this crime. This is what they tend to do in the hours afterwards, you know, blah, blah, blah. She's talking to people and getting really genuine answers about the people who, who are in the community. Um, and I think the combination of the two approaches has helped us unearth some stuff that I think when we went down there, there were things that, that law enforcement in the area for all their efforts, had not actually put together. And I think it might've been because we were working in a combination, this sort of unique path towards finding answers um, that we dug some stuff up that, that maybe nobody else had, you know? Well, I agree with that. That's a very good point. And also in the law enforcement, I know that Oklahoma Bureau of Investigations came in and they weren't the, the hated deputies, you know, of the local area, but still, there was law enforcement hatred there. So so the law enforcement um, people resisted them a little bit, right? And then, of course, the law enforcement kind of had preconceived ideas that the, Fre- the Freeman family was just a, just a, a, a bothersome family, uh, for lack of a better for, uh, term, I guess. But uh, so there was, there was problems there. You guys come in with fresh eyes, fresh face. You don't know the Freemans. You don't know the police officers. Everything was fine. But I like this. Uh, I think Starsky and Hutches would be a good team name for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you need a neat car, but I, I agree, Sarah, with what what one thing you said specifically was Jack's coming in from an author's point of view where she wants the storyline. You know, she, when she was talking a while ago, she mentioned, uh, she used the word rich characters and storyline and just the right influx of things. Well, she's looking at this from a story, and we do have rich characters. I mean, we have deputies who kill kids who Very. who then all of a sudden, a year later, are fired. All these rich characters. You, you're, you're from the psychological side, Sarah, and you are looking at what people tick and the criminal psychology, but you're looking at the crime scene, the facts, the gunshot, the direction, the trajectory, all the stuff that I look at. So you guys make an absolutely wonderful team because by yourselves you would be only looking at the facts and not looking at the characters involved Jax has what she knows now probably a lot more but she has really started out with this thing no idea about trajectory and all this other now she does but the two of you have really made a difference in this case because uh, because of these fresh eyes um and and of course I've, i've mentioned that but it's it's uh it's a great accomplishment so that's how you guys I think, started. I just it. want to like. I think honestly that the perspective that Jax brings to it, and I, I'm not blowing smoke here, honey. Um, I I think the way I that, that narrative. No, no, she's no, no. I expect my check. Um, her, her that narrative approach has allowed people to open up to her and share things with her. That and and we do know that a lot of these people, a lot of these witnesses or potential witnesses, are scared. It is there are aspects of that part of the country that are very scary. Um, and because there's been a lot of unchecked meth crime and stuff. So people are, are, are scared to talk and her way of 
getting people to open up because she is genuinely concerned and really cares not just about the crime, but about all the people around it. Um, I think that's a big part of how we've then been able to get more clues and more technical stuff that we can, that I can look at and pick apart. Or, and like you said, she's, she's learned a lot. Um, I'm saying, I, yeah, I really believe that. the early suspects, I think stuff like that really is <laughs> yeah. to the core. I'm serious. It's like, I think a lot of people in, in law enforcement, and I'm not saying Sarah or, you know, by any means, but I think a lot of people are very, you know, have that righteous attitude. Whereas I'm like, dude, let's go, you know, sing some Britney Spears on karaoke. And I'm doing this with the, with the convicted murderer. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I like yeah. to, to get to, not down to their level. Cause I could, because I really do think we're all equals. Uh, you know, I, I just think some of us make better choices than others, but um, I think that that's been kind of my role in this even more than the narrative thing. Like, yeah, I'm writing a book too, but I really think it's just, you know, just, just, talking at the same level with these people and you know i think a lot of it's too is because i'm an ex-addict i'm a former addict so i kind of get the lingo i get that darkness i get it and i think that that's kind of um why they open up to me a lot and and they do i've had a lot of people like i've never told this to agents but i'll tell you um you know i've had a lot of that uh and it's been it's been scary at times it hasn't been easy for me you know i've I've become very immersed in this case i think sarah will tell you i worked like 24 7 but um it's been, it's sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Now I'm going on a tangent. No, no. Yeah. Well, you interrupted me praising you. So it's okay. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I do. I, I, I do think the unique approach and the, the combination of our skill set, um, I do think it's mattered. And, and, and I don't by any means want to want to pat us on the back because this is a long way from done. But I do think that, like you said, we kind of lit some fires. I think that there was, um, it was a little bit stagnant and maybe people weren't looking at stuff and then they found out that we were down there and then it got picked up as a TV series and there was an impetus to maybe not look like they were just standing there holding the bag, you know? Right. Let's go back and talk about that for a minute. So now we kind of know where you, where you come from and how you got involved in this. And, and let's talk about that part right there. When you started going down um, and poking around, I know that's probably not a great term, uh, but going around and poking around in this thing, this thing, you did light some fires. And I do believe uh, that that is kind of like you said, what got this started was because, again, they didn't want to feel like they weren't doing anything. But what are some of the things uh, some things you may not be able to share? And if, if not, I understand. But what are some of the things that you uh, found out? What rock did you kick over? What spiders crawled out that actually like, wait, that's something we need to chase. And police kind of got involved in that because, well, wait a minute, these girls are onto something. Uh, what are some things that actually really started prompting them to have to start looking into this case? Oh, <laughs> I have I, a big okay. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say the one thing that I would say, and I, I do want to, um, uh, I do want to place the caveat that nobody has actually done more work or kicked over more rocks and actually chased away more spiders than Lorene Bible. Um, yeah. Like she has been tireless in her efforts to bring her daughter home and, and Ashley, I mean, she cared deeply for Ashley. She was her daughter's best friend from kindergarten, you know? Um, so I will say that a lot of the names, because what I was going to say was that some of the names that we have either picked at or, found connections between people that law enforcement maybe hadn't noticed before. Um, I think that that is a big part 
from, you know, we've examined some of these relationships where it's like, well, this person was a suspect and this person was a suspect, but we've had to eliminate them both because of X, Y, or Z. And we've said, well, was there a relationship between these two suspects that maybe that's why, you know, one fits sort of and one fits the other. And we were told, no, 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 there's, there's no relationship between them. We've looked at it. And, you know, inside of two days of being on the ground down there, the first time we went down, we found that absolutely there were connections between some of these different factions and stuff. So I think that that has been some of it. I, and I do think it's important to say that not a single name that we ever looked at um, was a new name to Lorraine Bible. I think, I, you know, but, um, but it is different. I think with the law enforcement responding to the family, they want to say, yes, yes, we're, we're doing what we can. But then when outsiders come in and really shine a spotlight, um, that, you know, which is what Lorena has been fighting for all this time, just to keep it in, in the public eye, um, that that might have been a little bit of what, what forced the hand. Did you get resistance oh, from all from the law enforcement? Did you get any resistance? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, was that resistance because you were uh, investigating a case and you're not you're not police officer in Oklahoma and you're or is it because uh, you quit? You know, you're coming in here and you're going to make us look bad or, or you know, what? What did you feel like the resistance was caused from? All um, of the above. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. I think a lot of it was kicked off. So on our first trip, we kind of played it out like, here we are, two dumb girls like, oh, my God, like, so tell us about this case. And we had this really stupid. <laughs> OMG. <laughs> OMG. You know, and and we and, and we talked about it and we did do that on purpose. So that helps certain people open up to, to us more. Oh, I'm giving away our secrets now. But um, so on the first trip, we talked with OSBI and the agents involved in the case. And it was very much like, oh, my gosh, so tell us about this. Like, who knew? And then um, we did something. I don't want to say what, you know, until whatever. But we did something very investigatory that pissed them off. They said, why didn't you tell us you were doing that? And that, 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 that. And another. Oh, and I want real quick for the record, it was not anything that we were. I mean, like we did everything above board. There was nothing. We didn't yes. do anything that would have required Contact us notifying authorities yes. and let them know we were doing right. said thing. Right. Uh, another thing too is that when we started talking to a captain of police down in Mobile, Alabama, and one of the the prime suspects, Jeremy Jones, was arrested down there. Uh, and I think that opened up a can of worms. Like, why are these girls going down to Alabama talking to the captain of the police and? He's giving them all this information and they're learning a whole lot. And it's, it's, um, I think pretty soon they realize these girls aren't playing around. Um, I had a few calls from through people through Lorene Bible, Lorene Bible called me and says, they're telling me to tell you to stop now. And I'm like, well, okay, good luck. But not as nicely and politely yeah. worded. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people are being pretty nasty about it. Um, so it's been interesting. We do travel with armed security when when we're there. Yeah. Yeah. I, we well, have, I yeah. bet. <clears throat> and, and with with the history in this case, again, you know, there was speculation that the deputy killed Shane Freeman, uh, and then made up a story. I mean, I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying that's what the the Freeman family right. and the, a certain element in that in that area believed to happen. But but we've got a case in this county where a police officer shot an uh, an, an, an unarmed individual, extremely justified. It's been vetted out. The cop did nothing wrong. 
but still yet, there's a faction of people that thinks he murdered this guy. He did not. You're always going to have that. So I'm right. not saying that in Oklahoma he did anything right or wrong. I have no idea. The, all I'm saying is there's a faction of people there that obviously is is uh, against the police, what puts the police on defensive. And obviously there's right. problems. And then when, uh, you know, you guys come down and start poking around, um, yeah, I could see where. And then uh, let me go back. There was indication, was there not, that this was a cover-up, that the police might actually have been involved in some way, right? And then while you poking around, then the pol- then was you going to expose the police? I think that was part of the rumor mill. Well, I think it's important yeah. to say, because something that we haven't touched on yet, you know, I think our presence there either pisses people off or it gets people really excited. And it has seemingly excited the people who do believe in the theories about the cops and this is a cover up and the, and the cops are trying to silence us and the cops did this. Um, I think that that section of people are the ones who tend to get excited, but I think it is worth mentioning and worth looking at that when we investigate Shane's case, the police records are gone. The autopsy is missing. It's been missing ever since there've been FOI reports, you know, submitted that have been ignored. And then we go to the Freeman case where the reports are gone. There's no investigation done over here. There's no one searching for the girls except for the family. And it's just like, it is, excuse my, like F up after F up after F up. And at one, at what point does it become negligence where you, you have this department that's just in over their head, you know, having never seen anything this big in such a small town, when does it go from there to being, somebody needs to take responsibility. Somebody needs to do something. And I think too. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say it bears mentioning, and I agree. Obviously, I. I mean, I was a cop for ten years. I. I am not. I am very reluctant to ever make the assumption that the that the police acted poorly or or particularly they acted maliciously. But there has been over the last twenty years um, within that little region, that kind of pocket of the um, northeast Oklahoma and the the Kansas border and the Missouri border. Um, sorry, Missouri order. Um, there, there have been a number of deputies and sheriffs and DAs who have actually gone to prison. Um, so it's, it, we, there was a former DA who is being looked at now for uh, murder for hire. There is, uh, another sheriff who just went to prison for rape, um, and for allowing rape to happen in the jails. So it is, there are obviously more really caring, really good, hardworking cops in the area than there are not, but there have been nefarious elements within the law enforcement community down there um, over the past two or three decades that is some of what leads to all of this speculation within the community that the police may have been involved. But where we're at today, where we're at today, though, we and we're going to get into what the arrest is here in just a minute, but where we're at today, we've, we've almost proved out that the police were not specifically involved in the crime correct i mean is it negligence is it cover-up is it where's the reports is it just ineptitude or is it a cover-up i don't know we'll ever know that but we have kind of proven out that the cops were not instrumental in coercion of this crime right i don't believe that they were directly involved but i think that there are some people out there who are who are saying that the recent uh, you know uh, arrests are bs and that the police are involved and you know um I guess it depends on who you talk to. On an official level, though, uh, no, it does not seem like they were directly involved, no. 
So let's go. We're getting close on time here. So let's go to the point of where are we at now? <laughs> who was arrested? Why are they arrested? Um, who should have been arrested but can't be arrested? Where are we at now? So just, what was it, two weeks ago? Um, two weeks they, ago, yeah. They had this huge break in the case where they're naming three suspects in the murders of Danny and Kathy Freeman, as well as the murders of Ashley and Laura, who are still missing. I mean, we should put emphasis on that. They have not been no found. Remains. Right. right, there are no remains. Uh, but he was charged in all four murders. This guy named Ronnie Busick out of Chitopa, Kansas. And he has been in our radar for a while. We've known about him for a while. Uh, along with his two um, his two buddies there, Philip or Warren Philip Welch and uh, and David Pennington, who are both dead. So Ronnie Busick is being charged. The other two are dead, and all hell is breaking loose. So can you share with us why he was arrested? What what what's the probable cause that the police used to make the arrest? So according to this twenty nine page affidavit that was just released by the district attorney down there. Um, they had found an insurance card on the Freeman property the day after the fire. Um, I guess there were searches in the area and a, a somebody, vehicle insurance card, like their, their, the car's insurance ID. Right. And this insurance card traced back to the girlfriend of one of the suspects, Philip Welch's girlfriend. I forget which initials they are because everyone has initials in this affidavit. I can't remember off the top of my head it was TW or something. And, um, Pretty much, uh, they tried giving the card to police. Police did not, uh, you know, pursue it. Um, and then there was a private investigator who did find many people who, you know, said, well, we saw these Polaroids of these girls. They were bound in chairs and duct taped and raped. Um, and that's a huge thing is that on this affidavit, I think they have like 12 people saying, yeah, we saw the Polaroids. We saw the pictures. And uh, according to this affidavit, um, they went there to collect a drug debt. It went bad. It sounded like Philip Welch was kind of the, uh, the the leader of the gang. He killed them. They didn't know what to do with the girls. They took the girls, and then they held them for a few days where they uh, assaulted them. And then eventually they tried to escape, so they strangled the girls and put them in one of the mines uh, in that area. This is in Pitcher, Oklahoma, where there's you know thousands of square miles of abandoned mines and tunnels underground. So uh, searches are very hard to do. But uh, we're, we're hoping that Ronnie Busey can help the family, you know, give a more exact coordinates as to where the girls' bodies are. Is Ronnie cooperating? Not, Not really. really. <laughs> no. He, right. At um, one point, he said, he told investigators when they first, so he was already in custody. He was um, incarcerated in Kansas on, on other unrelated uh, drug charges um, when they got the the arrest warrant. And then, so they extradited him to Oklahoma and with initial questioning, he said, well, I'll, I'll tell the, the families. So um, I think he probably didn't think that the families would be willing to speak with him, but Lorene Bible is fearless. Um, and so she said, sure thing, let's go talk. And they sat him down in front of her and he said, I can't tell you anything. I don't know anything. He, he claims he does not know. Um, but they didn't at this point, they, he certainly hasn't provided any, any help. Quick question. Did, when did the police know that there were Polaroids of these girls? Now, you say an investigator, a private investigator found this out and this was talk. Is there any indication the police knew about this before now? Yes. 
Yes, the the police have been hearing the Polaroids since the initial investigations back in the early 2000s. This is not new. It just uh, was a matter of what was pursued and what wasn't, and a lot wasn't. It also bears mentioning that last December, on the 18th anniversary of, of, of the murders, um, there was an announcement made by Sheriff Heath Winfrey of the Craig County Sheriff's Office there, uh, that they had found a crate in his office that had been overlooked by the former administration under Souter, under Sheriff Jimmy Souter. Um, they just found it in his office, uh, this crate of information that had not been submitted to the OSBI, which would be the investigating agency there. Um, so um, that kind of happened. And then this happens a couple months later. So it has not been said that this was the information found in the box, but that's what is it's, it's very likely. So no, they have said that uh, there are no Polaroids. Like we do know that the Polaroids don't exist uh, right. anymore. If, if, if they existed, they don't exist anymore. So we know, we don't know what was in that crate that was uh, located in, in the Craig County office. Um, but they have stated unequivocally there were there. The Polaroids don't exist any longer. They just went with uh, witness statements on the Polaroids. Right. So where are we at currently with the uh, the 1st of May 2018 is we have three people that's been named in this. Two are dead already. One's in custody on another charges now being charged with this. Uh, there is some evidence, obviously, to con- to go forward there. We don't need to talk about that. But uh, but as of right now, the bodies of the girls have not been located. Is that true? Correct. That's correct. Yes. And it, I know we're hopeful. But uh, each from each of you, with with what you know about this case, we're all hopeful. But are you holding out? Are you really excited that 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 we're probably going to get closure for the family, or do you feel like, yeah, probably not? I try not to get on that emotional roller coaster. I think it's very easy to get on it. Um, I think that the families learn that in the first year or two. You know, let's not get too too excited because they've been let down so many times. You know. It's like the old saying, you, you hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. I really pray and I hope that we do find the girls. Um, I won't be surprised if we don't. Now, you've read the affidavit, Sarah. Yeah, I'm I, sure you have as well. But uh, but uh, from your background in law enforcement, I've not read the affidavit, but you have. Do you feel like the affidavit spells out the evidence in the case well enough that, yeah, we probably are going to get a conviction here. We actually have evidence, not just subjectiveness. Um, it depends, I think, on what is in the crate, like what the documents are that they're not releasing to the public. I mean, like, I don't, again, I'm like you, I don't want to armchair quarterback this thing. And I'm a hundred percent positive. There are details that we don't know that are not known to the public. And obviously I'm not law enforcement anymore. Um, so I'm not privy to it. So I'm sure there are things we don't know with just what is laid out in the affidavit. They're going to need a lot more for a conviction. Yeah, it's it's very circumstantial, like a card on the side it's of the road. All it, it, circumstantial. It's blown over yeah. the Polaroids. No one's actually seen them. It's a lot of, and you know, it, it also bears mentioning. Um, and I'm not saying this to to belittle anybody, but a lot of these witnesses, I think most of the witnesses were meth addicts um, who were pretty strung out when making these claims. Um, I think that that's going to be hard to you know for the credibility of the witnesses if they take the stand. But I also think something we haven't mentioned also is that Ronnie Busick is in pretty poor health. We're not so sure this is even going to make it a trial. He's in very poor health. And 
Yeah, it, it, yeah I, I, and I, a I, homicide I, trial this this complex is going to take years, probably, to be honest. And uh, I, yeah, he's from what we know, um, his days, he, his days are numbered. And yeah, it's it's tough to imagine seeing this come all the way through a full trial and and a conviction or um, or not. And I think that's going to be sad because if he dies before the case is heard publicly. Mm-hmm then there'll be still that that guesswork was music yeah. involved uh no closure if we find the girl's bodies connected to him then even if he dies before trial at least we know that he knew at least we know he was there but if we don't find the girls and he dies before conviction then uh, do we do we do we have the right people or not and is the police going to hang their hat on and say well you know what we had our suspects they died we're closing the case Right. And, and and is it even the right suspect? I mean, innocent till proven guilty. We don't know the evidence. Uh, we're probably the evidence is probably if OS if if uh, Oklahoma Bureau of Investigation is arresting them, um, you know they don't play right. So so it may be right. some circumstantial, but 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 they've got evidence enough to be convinced that, and a DA is convinced that these people are involved. They've got evidence we don't know about. Obviously that's how these cases work. So, so again, right. we don't worry about the Welch police department and all that. You may question them, but Oklahoma Bureau of investigation ain't got nothing to do with it. If they've made an arrest, they feel confident, but without a conviction, it's still open-ended for this family. So, I mean, let's hope that yeah. he lives long enough to get convicted. Then I don't care if he dies or not, but let's get him convicted and get the girls found. I think that that's everybody's fear is that he's not yeah. going, I mean, if he knows where they are, if he does, and, and, and it's a big if, you know, I think that's everybody's fear is, is he the last one to take the secret to the grave? And then what? I mean, we, we feel strongly that the girls are somewhere in Pitcher. It's, the, you know, the uh, ghost town of Pitcher. It's right on the Kansas border there, but it's, it's impossible to search. I mean, you would have to know more about the coordinates and, you know, a, a more pinpoint, uh, location because it, it's impossible. And that is everybody's fear. So, you know, I hope, I hope that his higher power works on his heart, that he write a note to somebody, get it out to somebody, or that if somebody out there knows something, drop it off in a mailbox, call anonymously. You know, I think that the family. Yeah. There are, there are so many ways you can give an anonymous tip in this case. The family's closure does not come with a conviction. The family's closure comes right. with finding bodies and they have emphasized that time and time again especially Lorene she's like yeah they might make arrests but it's just another day I'm still going to be looking for my daughter's body you know exactly um, exactly and I and those of us yeah, that have never been through it can't imagine yeah she she's made the point that what is at this point all these years later the hardest thing for her is that she doesn't have some place to go and sit and pay respects to her girl um and and so yeah it, Finding, finding remains um, is is paramount, and I know Jax and I are both committed to to continuing through no matter what happens with the music case. Right, right. No, and I and I appreciate your guys' dogness, your your doggedness. As I said earlier, dog with a bone uh, to get this thing in. <laughs> some people have a, uh, some people have another word for that. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, but then, yeah. well, we're, we're going to use we're going to stay positive. Also, here. dog related. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I understand. Exactly. Well, that's their that you know that's their problem. But but no, I appreciate. I know the family appreciates it too. And and, and we're going to have to wrap this thing up. But Jax, I want to take just a second here and put spotlight back on you. Um, you are an author. Uh, you you know, in your own right, you you have a lot of good work out there. I think you, you had a new book just published. And what was that? No, that's only published in France, my friend. Oh, only is that Fr- is that Candyland? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yes, yes, and, that's Candyland. Okay, um, no, right now I, I've been really busy working on on the book uh, for this case. It's titled "By the Dawn's Early Light," which people in America will recognize as you know a line in the national anthem. That's right. not as well known where I live in in Europe, but um, yeah, "By the Dawn's Early Light." Uh, it'll probably take two years for it to actually be published. This is going to be a mother of a book. It's going to be a a big book. So, right, right. So, so Candyland is only written in French. It's only written in French for now, but hopefully that changes. I'm, I'm not focusing on it. Right, right, now. right. right. You've got other things, but you can. Uh, I'll, pu- I'll push for her. Her, uh, her first novel that is in uh, what are you in like twenty languages now, including English. Uh, Freedom's Child is awesome. Please, yeah, definitely, you will love it. It's, it's, it's gritty and dark. It, it, it ain't for the weak of heart. Um, but it's fantastic and it, it definitely sold me on working with her <laughs> and, and freedom's child, Jack's Miller. Uh, you can, uh, we find that in anywhere, Amazon bookstores, yeah. right? Okay. It's there. Okay. Yep. Perfect. And I, I know on Facebook, you're Jack's Miller, J A X, right? Okay. Um, so everybody can, everybody can find you there. Uh, of course they can connect with Sarah through you as well. Um, I, I don't think Sarah's quite as public as you are necessarily with your, with writing <laughs> and things like that. But, uh, but everybody connect uh, can connect with you, and then of course they can find Sarah. And Sarah, you you just you you just may pick up another occupation here of being you know a super sleuth for the writers, and that that'd be great. Um, one of the yeah, last I, things I, I want to mention here is it's interesting to me that all this come about now. Of course, you know we've known each other for a little over a year, and we've talked back and forth. But but here we are talking about this case now, and I'm sure you're all familiar with the East Area Rapist. I mentioned this at the top of the oh, show yeah. that they've arrested him with the with the genealogy dna but a lot of that case um got reopened up by this author that just recently died yeah yeah i couldn't think of the name that's right and you know she was dogged as well i mean she worked with another detective and she really uncovered all now not saying the police didn't work that case. That case has been worked since 1972. There was just no... 40 years. Yeah, yep. There was just no way to solve it. I mean, until it came to this. But again, here we have another case where an author has got their teeth into it and can find things out and has helped... And, and, and information in there has kind of actually helped spur things along. And of course, the whole story about the DNA. Now, she's died before that happened um, unexpectedly. And that's a very, very sad thing that she didn't see it through. Mm-hmm. But just another example uh, of how... Uh, people can get involved in in getting these things open back up because sometimes the family, uh, you know, the the, uh, the families of the victims are like police are like go away, okay, we hear you, we know, we know, but bring a third party, bring somebody in like that, it really starts opening things up. So again, Jack, Sarah, thank you so much for even being involved in this case. I know the family appreciates it. And um, you know what? We're, you're gonna. It's gonna be a great story, and and maybe next year or two, when this book is done, you can find another case and dig into it as well. It is gonna be a TV show. Oh, perfect! Yeah, we got picked up as a true crime documentary series. Yeah. Oh wow, that's gonna be nice. 
That's cool. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. see, you know, see how just you just start in, you say yes to some opportunities, and look at where you're at. That's fantastic. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I got to say real quick, the way we've been really grateful to you for all your help too, Darren. Um, and the way I came to you, my best friend is a coroner here uh, in the Philadelphia suburbs. So shout out to Christine Johnson. She's been a big help to us on this case, doing <laughs> diagrams for us on autopsy reports and stuff. Um, and if it wasn't for her, we wouldn't know about you and your work um, and just all the help that you've given us as well. So just thank you to all the the other death investigators who have been just giving freely of, of their time and their, their passion. Yeah. Christine Johnson is a friend of the show for sure. Um, I appreciate her involvement in, in what she does. I, I see her around in the Facebooks and, and, and doing different things or whatever. So again, shout out to, to, to her over there. Uh, and, and you know what, tell you what, maybe she has a good cold case or a good story that she can come on the show. I would love to have her on the show. Let her know that. Um, maybe she has a case. I'm, I'm don't mention any names. You don't have to talk about family. I feel her melting from here. I feel her yeah. melting. But, but she would be great she's on the show. Fan girl. <laughs> well, because she would have a real case maybe we could talk about or a problem or something where, you know, she's working in it. She's like me. She's down in the mud and the blood. We work the real cases and I'm sure she'd have something to add to our community that we can be a teaching point. So, so again, I'd love to have her on the show and um you know i like i said i see her around i think we've been on a couple of facebook comments and things like that uh, but love to have her on the show that would be fantastic so i'm sure like you said i'm sure she's listening to this right now i'm not sure how she's reacting but you say she's reacting differently i don't know but uh, i'd love to have her on the show it would be it would be fantastic because i love having awesome. uh, people listeners on the show it's not just about me it's not just about you it's about all of us and uh, everybody can add to and so that's that's what i want so again jack 100%. sarah thank you so much for coming on and sharing this with us and spending some time with us i appreciate both of you uh, and hopefully, as this Thank case you for progresses, keeping the word out on, oh yeah, on the case. sir, sure, certainly, certainly. And as this case progresses, if there's new information, let's jump back on and update our listeners on this uh, on this case. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, you, Darren. You all have a great rest of your day. Thank all you. All right. Too. Thank you. Bye. All right, I'm back live with you now, so to speak. I appreciate you spending the whole hour with me. That's a great, amazing case. If you haven't heard about it before, look it up. Follow this case. Again, as we talked about on the show with with the girls, it's, it's very interesting how fresh eyes, people coming in looking at cases can get some of these cold cases pumped back up. Uh, some of us may be negligent. Some of it is, hey, police officers are busy. Uh, it's just a busy time, and if you got a cold case, you've got new cases coming in all the time, so it might not be a neglectful thing, but once rock starts getting turned over like we talked about and spiders start running out, you got to be chasing these spiders, and then all of a sudden things start happening. wish it had been a lot sooner than now, but if we can just find the bodies of the girls. We believe the girls are probably dead. I know at least one has been declared dead by the court, maybe both, but if you're listening to this, if you're if any way interested in crime and corners and things like that and you're listening to this show and you have information that where the girls might be or even how to convict the guy that's been arrested if you have any information on this case uh, then send it to me anonymously uh, drop a letter in the mail to the uh, to the oklahoma bureau of investigations if you don't want to be identified but just give the information if you believe you have it you might think well i don't know if they believe me or maybe this doesn't mean anything if you think it might mean something, let the authorities figure out if it means something. 
pass the information along and let them figure it out, okay? Uh, and again, if you need want to be anonymous, that's okay too. Uh, if you want to drop me a line and tell, tell it to me, I'll pass it along. But that way, the information gets out there and they can work on it. We want to find these girls. We want to give a proper burial and so the family can put closure. They've accepted the fact that the girls are, are dead. One's been declared dead at least. They've accepted that. They understand that. But could you imagine not bringing your baby girl home and having a funeral and having a closure and having a place to visit? You know, that's terrible. That's that's terrible. So if you have any information, if you know anything, please, please, please let the authorities know so we can get some closure. Again, Sarah Jacks, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate your involvement in in this case and in the show with me and what you've done to support me and, and our community. So. Again, till next week, everybody, like I always say, find a way to be a blessing. Again, here's a good case where Jackson Sarah has been a blessing to the family down there. They've done things, it's blessed people. Find a way to be a blessing. And every time you bless somebody, it comes back to you tenfold. So be blessed and be a blessing. Till next week, everybody, be safe. Thanks for listening to Coroner Talk, a DSPN media production. Visit our website at coronertalk.com. And be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash coronertraining. 3617-1024 scene on route to morgue.